Give me back tomorrow Taking all that I can stand Throw the weight of the world From the palm of your hand Gather round the fire Together we will rise Keep your feet on the ground Keep your eye on the prize Good morning! Welcome to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle. I'm your host this morning, Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington. I hope you're all feeling well and taking steps to create a healthy immunity environment in your home, in your place of work if you're allowed to go there, and in your body. Uh, If you're looking for ideas of how to stay healthy, improve your immune uh, resistance to infection, um, and even to help yourself or somebody heal if you come down with anything, um, I encourage you to visit informedchoicewa.org because we have been posting healing protocols as they come along. Uh, most of them are the natural healing protocols, but also some of the ones from mainstream medicine. Uh, we've got one up on the website now from the Eastern Virginia Medical School that sort of combines the best of both therapies that have been helping for COVID patients. Um, Really some exciting stuff coming out. Um, Last night we put up on the website something that I wanna talk about next week on next Friday, and that's HBOT therapy. Um, Hyperbaric oxygen treatment therapy is so exciting in what it's able to do and heal. And get this, the people who know this science well say you can convert jets, big airliners, into giant HBOT systems to heal many patients at once. It's very exciting. So we've got a little video on the website um, on one of the blog posts. So if you want to just go check that out, I think you'll find it really interesting. I want to give a little shout out this morning to Lift Your Spirits founder, Dina Marie, to shelter if you have to do that and find peace in nature. Now more than ever, We need to find those peaceful moments and to let nature lift our spirits and to be empowered that we are in charge of our lives and more importantly, in charge of our health. And if you you want to get in contact with Dina, if you're missing her, she's going to be back at the end of the month, but you can find her at dina-marie.com. So so go look for her. Um, But in terms of taking charge of your health, you need information to make informed decisions about your health. And that can be very challenging today because it seems like every time you turn around, everybody is accusing everybody else of fake news and misinformation. So what's a person to do? How, how do you know who to trust? So this is Lift Your Spirits Radio. So even though we're going to start off this program today talking about things that aren't necessarily uplifting, like censorship and bias, I want you to hang in there because we're going to give you some not power tools, but empowering tools. We're going to be talking about how you can attempt to sift through and find your own truth and facts and information to guide your decisions. So The way I see it is this, people approach alternative media with a healthy degree of skepticism. They expect when they tune into YouTube and they see somebody sitting there in their pajamas, you know, in their living room, that this person may or may not know what they're talking about, but they're willing to listen. And then 
they might say, huh, I want to prove this guy right, or I want to prove that gal wrong. And so then they go do some research. They bring that that degree of critical thinking to the viewing experience or the listening experience on alternative media. I think the problem is, is that for a lot of people still, though absolutely trust mainstream media, they turn on CNN or read the New York Times and they think it's there, it must be true. But is it? So we have today with us a journalist who can provide some insight. Her name is Allison Morrow, and she's a former Emmy Award-winning TV network environmental reporter, but she has moved, as she describes it, off-grid-ish. <laughs> and uh, to find journalistic freedom. So Allison, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, excited. So yeah, so glad you're here. What part of the state are you in? We're in central Washington, about 90 minutes from Seattle. So mm -hmm. we can still zoom over there if we want to, but we have all the amenities of country living now. And I think at this point in time, we did not know that we'd be facing this lockdown, pandemic, uh, panic over mm -hmm. there um, when we made the move but I think we chose a pretty good time to get over here. So we're happy to be in the quiet and have 10 acres to walk around on. Oh, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. And I've been enjoying watching your videos because you, you're covering many angles of what's going on here and doing it sort of in depth. You've got the beauty of alternative media. You do have a little bit more time to do a lengthy interview, not just cut somebody off after a minute and a half. So it's been really nice to hear what people have to say. Um, Sorry, I just sort of went blank there for a minute. Does that ever happen? Yeah. <laughs> All the time, uh, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Welcome to live television. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah. they have prompters in my old business, so they could just yeah. read the next thing if they forgot what they were saying. Um, I, I need to make bigger bullet points, I think, on my talking points here. So let, let's start with why you left mainstream media, um, to have freedom to choose the stories you want to cover in a way you want to cover them. Was there a defining moment, a story that you felt the public really should hear that you weren't allowed to do that kind of gave you that extra boot to say, I'm going to do this? Uh, you know, there wasn't a particular headline that I wanted to do, but there was a way in which I wanted to do all of the headlines that I was incapable of doing. And I think that ultimately is what led me to make the decision to go full on YouTube or podcasting mm -hmm. because I really did have to stick to that traditional 90 second model where you have to fit all of the facts into a very, very um, short period of time. One that's virtually impossible when you're talking about a very nuanced, complex topic with some unknowns and not just two sides, but maybe 10 sides mm -hmm. and Unfortunately, though, you hope the public understands that it's far more complex than this 90 second story you're handing them. I think in a lot of ways, people don't. They may, you know, the, the ones who don't trust you probably don't trust you anyway, but the ones who do, you start to wonder, am I doing harm to the conversation? And I think mm -hmm. that was really where I was having trouble sleeping was both my parents are physicians and they can't necessarily heal everybody, but they took an oath to not harm anyone. 
And I take that same thing seriously as a journalist. I don't want to do any harm. So I started to notice that as it was getting more and more difficult, because what a lot of people don't realize is that many folks in my old position are shooting and editing all of their own videos. So it's not just like you're a reporter who sits in a passenger seat and can take notes and make phone calls and do research while you're driving to your stories. You're driving the car. You, you, you can't look at your notes or try to figure out what the heck you're talking about or get a better understanding and digest it. Um, you got to do the mechanical side of it too. And that happened back in 2008 during the recession, they sort of split crews so that the newsrooms could amp up the amount of live coverage they were doing to get rid of paying for syndicated broadcasting. So it's to cheapen the budget essentially. And then they had to produce more live shows. That's why people may say, man, it feels like they're live all the time. Well, that that's true. They doubled in some cases, the amount of live programming. And that was so that the already in-house employees were doing the majority of the work. You weren't having to pay for Dr. Phil or Oprah or Ellen or whatever else. Uh, you had your own people doing the work. The problem is they couldn't afford to hire anybody to, to produce all that extra material. So the idea was, well, let's split photographers and reporters. And now we have two people for the price of one, essentially, right? We've, we've mm -hmm. now created two people. So let's teach the photographers how to write and become a reporter. And let's teach reporters how to shoot and they can become a photographer. Now, now we've got two crews. And that was the environment I was born into as a journalist. So I never really knew it any other way. I knew that there were people who had been there before me and I saw them getting kind of the star treatment, doing their makeup in the passenger seat. And <laughs> that was never my position. So as I started covering more complex topics, because, hey, listen, I mean, this sounds terrible, but when you're covering crime, for instance, crime is very easy to cover. It's like at two o'clock in the morning, the, this happened and the police say this and the crime tapes up and you talk to the neighbor about how terrible it is and you wrap it up and you send it in. But when you start covering the environment, which was what I was finishing up doing before I left. I covered the environment for about five and a half years. That was something where I realized you, this just, a lot of this stuff can't fit into the, that model mm -hmm. and I needed more time. So the whole driving and everything that, you know, that gave me in some ways the freedom to keep covering the environment. Cause I was one of really only maybe two, I may have been the only one in the entire country for television who was covering the, environment full-time for a TV mm -hmm. news station. There was really no one else doing what I was doing. And that is a reflection of the fact that there are not a lot of journalists in newsrooms anymore. And so you're going to put everybody on what I call the meat and potatoes journalism and environment is not meat and potatoes right now. Um, it may be in the Pacific Northwest. People would be horrified to hear that, but it's true. You know, I mean, they're looking mm -hmm. at, at other stuff is more important. And so mm -hmm. because I worked by myself, I had more freedom on the other side of the coin though, I had a lot more responsibility and that made it more difficult to produce the content with the nuance that I needed to produce it in. So back to your original question, it was just this, this sort of context of everything that I was having to produce. It wasn't just one headline, it was all of them. And I had to sit back and say, where do I belong? Like now that I'm starting to actually know the material well enough to know what I don't know, which is when you start realizing now I'm becoming not an expert, but I, I've got a better grip on it. They always say, right, like when I went to seminary, which I have a master of divinity degree and a lot of people don't know that, but they used to say like the people who are the newbies, they think they know everything. And the more you know, the more you realize you there's so much you don't know. Right. And that's when yeah. you start feeling like, I don't want to touch the hot <laughs> stove anymore. Because what is it that I'm missing here? And then, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that was essentially why I was like, I need to get into a, a, a medium that allows for longer form conversations and that's how I ended up making the decision to leave. 
Plus mm-hmm. it fit my lifestyle. I wanted, I started to become the message. I was spending so much time out in the wild, uh, interviewing bears and, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of other wild animals. And uh, I wanted to live that way. I wanted to be able to uh, wake up with clean air and see mountains and uh, have land and my horse out in the pasture outside my house. And I didn't want to live crammed in a city anymore. I wanted to be, you know, have cleaner water and um, just cleaner food and know my neighbors better and and have farmers near me. And so it was kind of twofold. I, I, be, I became the message. I wanted to live it out, but that meant I had to leave the city. And at that point in time, we hadn't, had the transition of reporters in their living room like we're seeing now with this quarantine and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Um, For as somebody who's an advocate um, for a topic that is very nuanced, you know, I'm a vaccine safety reform advocate. um, I so appreciate exactly everything that you're saying because you know, we will talk for an hour and a half to two hours with reporters all over the nation. And we might get one sentence or 15 second soundbite. And, you know, you just really need much more in-depth conversation on, on many subjects. Um, we need to move to a break. When we come back, we're gonna pick up right here where we left off. So Benny, I think we'll take us to a break now. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, and you're listening to Lift Your Spirits Radio on 1150 AM Curious about whales in the Pacific Northwest? Orca Network's Langley Whale Center celebrates and shares the lives of gray whales, orcas, and other marine mammals of the Salish Sea. The Langley Whale Center is a project of Orca Network, a nonprofit that is based on Whidbey Island. The Langley Whale Center gives Orca Network the opportunity to have a public presence to share the excitement about the whales and marine mammals who are our neighbors. The Whale Center in Langley gives visitors and residents alike a chance to to learn more about the endangered southern resident orcas who visit our area and about the North Puget Sound gray whales, a small, unique population of gray whales who find sustenance in the waters of Saratoga Passage and Possession Sound each March through May. Check out the Orca Network and Langley Whale Center on Facebook for the latest whale sightings, educational programs, and events, or visit orcanetwork.org for more information. You'll be glad you did. Are you feeling blocked? Are you frustrated or confused? If so, take some time to stop and step off the treadmill so you can receive the guidance and the support you need to take your life in a new direction. A client of mine called me a personal trainer for the body, the mind, and the spirit, and she added, Dina Marie does not heal you. She gives you the tools you need to heal yourself. If you're ready for a change, I'm here for you. In person, our phone sessions are available by appointment. Visit dina-marie.com to connect with me today. Feeling the need to get away and reconnect with Mother Nature? Located on Whidbey Island, Earth Sanctuary is a peaceful and magical sculpture garden, nature reserve, and retreat center with two miles of nature trails, three bird-filled ponds, and a variety of powerful sacred spaces, including a labyrinth, stone circles, and medicine wheels. Come and enjoy the wonders of nature and experience personal renewal, spiritual growth, and healing today. Visit earthsanctuary.org or the Earth Sanctuary on Facebook for more information. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk 1150. 
Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Bernadette Pager from Form Choice Washington, your host today. And with me is journalist Allison Morrow. We're talking about, you know, what can be aired, what journalists can choose to, to cover. She broke free of uh, major media to go independent alternative media, and she hosts her own YouTube channel uh, her, um, with some fabulous reporting, um, all sorts of topics. Her passion is the environment, and she's doing a lot covering uh, COVID here. Um, so you recently did this great video where you're talking about the censorship, the blatant in your face boasting about censorship of President Trump. And no matter what anybody's feelings are about Mr. Trump, he is president of the United States. And there is this thing called journalistic integrity. You know, um, to me, freedom, and I think to many people, requires honest media and being told everything, even if we're not going to like it. So can you talk about that? Talk about what you are seeing in major media that's happening around censorship? Right. Well, the censorship issue and bias and um, just the whole gamut of accessibility of information is a real problem. And it's everywhere. So as you mentioned, that video that I did was a YouTube video. It was about mainstream news, but with the tech companies kind of deciding for us also on alternative media, what are these safe conversations for us to have? It's really like you can run, but you can't hide. There's plenty of places where big, big YouTubers, for instance, people who have millions of followers are just taken off the platforms. Yeah. Like, they all kind of, I don't know, they're supposed to be separate, like Twitter is supposed to not be the same as YouTube, but somehow someone could disappear within 30 minutes from all platforms. If they mm -hmm. say something that big tech decides is against their sort of community guidelines. Yeah. Now where this sort of becomes an interesting debate is when you're in a mainstream media position, you're considered a publisher essentially. So you can face certain regulation in like lawsuits for um, making decisions like to libel someone, you can get sued for that. Big tech at this point is still considered a platform. So that's how they started. Like you can post whatever, anyone can be here. So they've been allowed to slip away from some of the regulation that would face uh, the more conventional, you know, traditional media realm. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who are like, well, is this fair that, you know, they're getting kind of the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. They don't have to face the repercussions and consequences of a publisher, but yet they get the power to do that. They can kick someone off. They can decide what conversations we can and cannot have. And the video that I did that you're talking about was about uh, many mainstream big outlets um, saying, you know what, we're not going to cover President Trump's coronavirus task force 
press conferences live anymore. We're going to listen to them ourselves. And then we're going to decide for you what we think you should hear and what's mm -hmm. true and what's not true. Now, as I said in that video, if it's easy at first to think, okay, great. You know, you've done all the, re you're the journalist. So like a doctor, we're going to just trust you. We're, we'll trust you that you know what you're talking about and you've got power. But think about the precedent that that sets all of a sudden. Like if it's your guy, like this is the way I look at politics now, your person is in power. Uh, you may be like, you know, oh, this is, you know, this is great or vice versa. In this case, a lot of the traditional media really hates President Trump. So they're like, just, you know, no more censor, censor, censor. But now what happens when your person ends up in that position? Well, now mm -hmm. you've just set a precedent where it's normalized to cut someone off. Now, it's not abnormal for TV stations, for instance, to say, hey, there's something of greater interest to people, so we're not going to cover a two-hour presser live. I mean, that was a conversation we had all the time. Mm -hmm. There's only so much time in the day, and you can't cover everybody's live presser for hours and hours. That said, we're at a point of economic crisis potentially a global pandemic and the ratings for these press conferences are extremely high the public interest in them is very high so you can't make the argument that they're not a news value you can't make the argument that people don't want to watch them and so to me yeah it's just flat censorship and i am mm -hmm. frankly very disturbed and saddened that there are people in journalism who say that that's the right way to go. Censorship is never something that a journalist should support. I was just yeah. watching Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, who was the journalist who broke the story about Ed Snowden and the NSA and everything and spying on us during, under the Obama administration. And uh, he said the same thing. And I was like, thank God there are still people like Glenn Greenwald who may find somebody personally totally offensive and their ideas totally offensive when he's home at night having a glass of wine. But he's a journalist and he's always going to defend the freedom of the press and free speech and mm -hmm. the free flow of information. And that's what journalists should support. And yeah. the fact that now we're not only getting the public rallying to silence people, but we have journalists that are putting themselves in that position. Yeah. It, to me, it's <clears> like, well, you know what? I guess at the end of the day, I didn't go to journalism school. My background, I have a history in French double major from college. And I went to study religion and psychology for my master's degree. So I don't know what they're learning in J school anymore, but maybe that's the only reason why I got saved from yeah. that ideology, because I think that's wrong. I just yeah. do. Yeah. I, I, there's so much that I agree here. I've got a thousand thoughts running through my head and directions. I'm going to have to have more conversations um, with you on this. Um, Benny, I want to uh, introduce something. And then that clip that I sent you um, will be playing here in a second. Um, so historically it's journalists that we count on to protect the public, who um, we do expect them to analyze what people in power are saying to give us the truth. But what I find is we've got people fact-checking, but they are using a lot of bias in the sources they use to fact-check. So, you know, who's fact-checking the fact-checkers? And it, it's very frustrating. Um, and a lot of the coverage that we see, they don't have time to go down and dig deep. And so they present what a government agency told them as absolute truth without digging deep. There's just no time for that. The budgets, as you say, when you entered it, have been cut. So, um, so one of the examples I have is Anthony Fauci, who's the director of the NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. 
Um, he's been saying at every press conference that, you know, a vaccine is coming 12 to 18 months. Um, we're going to get it out there as quick as we can. What Dr. Fauci is saying, you know, we won't get this under control until we get the vaccine, as if it's a for sure thing that in 12 to 18 months, we will have one. And in the meantime, there have been researchers and doctors speaking up saying, whoa, 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 this is dangerous to rush a vaccine, especially this one in particular, um, meaning it sets you up for a really bad reaction if you ever do get sick with this infection they're trying to protect you from. And, and so organizations like mine and, and people all over in the informed consent medical freedom movement talk about it, and our posts get flagged as fake news. They get censored, they get dialed back, they get taken down. And yet, who is right here? Who's fact-checking the fact-checkers? So then all of a sudden we hear, and I don't know why he's saying this, but Benny, can you go ahead and play that clip of Dr. Fauci? This is on MSNBC. Issue of safety, something that I wanna make sure the American public understand. It's not only safety, when you inject somebody and they get maybe an idiosyncratic reaction, they get a little allergic reaction, they get pain. Their safety associated, does the vaccine make you worse? And there are diseases in which you vaccinate someone, they get infected with what you're trying to protect them with, and you actually enhance the infection. You can get a good feel for that in animal models. So that's gonna be interspersed at the same time that we're testing, we're gonna try and make sure we don't have enhancement. So the worst possible thing you could do is vaccinate somebody to prevent infection and actually make them worse. So yes, exactly. That is what we've been saying, what the experts have been saying, and that major media has not covered. And so it's been very frustrating. And finally, Dr. Fauci is saying what we're all concerned with, uh, very concerned about the safety of the 45 volunteers in Seattle. I don't know if they have all the volunteers yet, but um, they're getting injected with this product before the completion of animal models, animal safety testing. So um, this is a big concern of trying to just uh, figure out um, who acts um, when we have this social media censorship and the refusal of major media sometimes to cover what they consider to be the alternative viewpoint. And I see we're coming up on the half hour here. We're going to have to go to a break. This is just going so fast today. So uh, this is Bernadette Pager on 1150 KKNW with Allison Morrow, and we will be back. Are you looking for a realtor? Rebecca Sayer from Infinity Real Estate and Development in Seattle is a real estate broker with a passion for helping people with an enjoyable and successful home buying experience. Infinity is focused on empowering positive futures for each of our clients as well as the community. With a deep local knowledge in green and sustainable properties and housing models, Rebecca is committed to connecting people with the right property. She can help you access a home that will increase your quality of life reduce electromagnetic and toxic product exposure, plus your carbon footprint. 
Rebecca serves on the Northwest Eco-Building Guild's Education Committee, where she is helping develop a series of courses for people who have an interest in living more sustainably, be it in a home or an apartment, through classes that share the tricks, tools, and resources available. To connect with an agent that serves you and your community, reach out to Rebecca at Rebecca at InfinityRed.com today. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including health care choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best health care decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. Give me back tomorrow, taking all that I can stand. Throw the weight of the world from the palm of your hand. Gather round the fire, together we will rise. Keep your feet on the ground, keep your eye on the prize. Oh, don't turn away, no, don't go back. Next train's coming. Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington, your host today with uh, independent journalist who's off Grittish, Allison Morrow. And we've been talking about uh, major media, alternative media, and who can you trust, censorship that's happening, bias that's happening. But let's move towards some tools. Let's, let's em- get some empowering tools to our listeners. What can they do when they're watching either major or alternative media to try to find the information they need to guide their decisions? Where would you start? The first thing is the more voices that you include at your dinner table, the better educated you will be about a topic and different kinds of voices. So when I go to my information sources, which I will say at this point, mostly are alternative media sources. I listen to a lot of different commentary on YouTube and I have folks that I would consider part of sort of the left progressive camp and people who are on the conservative right side of things. And then people who are more maybe centrist or libertarian. Um, And I listen to all of them. And I think besides the fact that it gives me a better view of how different kinds of people are seeing things and helps me inform what I then decide, maybe this is my opinion, is that it also helps me cultivate empathy for people who have different opinions than I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real problem right now in mainstream news and uh, and even outside of it is that a lot of 
journalists, uh, unfortunately start to think exactly alike and they all hang out with each other and they go to, you know, bars together and they scream at the TV together and they think similarly, even though there are sort of like the subtle mutiny people in the newsroom, but they never speak up because they don't want to be looked at as weirdos. Um, and so it would seem like a newsroom would be a place where you'd have a lot of people talking about a lot of different viewpoints. And I'm sure like some newsrooms are more open and, and uh, you know, available than others are to different viewpoints, but depending on, you know, city and culture and that kind of, that all plays into it because people are people, right? I mean, journalists mm -hmm. are human, so they fall prey to confirmation bias just like anybody else does. Um, and I think that part of the issue is that there are a lot of very well-meaning people in the journalism field, but unfortunately they're not exposed to different ideas. And, you know, for me, it was like, I liked things in my personal life that exposed me to different people. Like I like to know farmers, for instance, because I like to know where my food comes from because I'm really into health and wellness when it comes to food. Well, that introduced me to ranchers in central Washington or produce farmers in Enumclaw, dairy farm, I mean, you know, all kinds of different people. And like, they all kind of think a little differently. I went on cattle drives with people who, um, you know, I, people think everybody on the east side of the mountains is a conservative Republican. I rode a cattle drive for four hours with a guy who voted for Hillary Clinton. And, you know, it gives you the perspective that you can't necessarily box people. Um, I married a, vet, a combat veteran who has very different, um, in some cases, political viewpoints than I do. And we had to hash that out at the end of our marriage on like a lot of people who I think got divorced, <laughs> you know, at the beginning of this last presidency. Um, and I think that's really important. So mm -hmm. building relationships, whether they're digital or in your own community with people who think differently than you and learning to have empathy and be mm -hmm. uh, interested and seeking uh the other voices is really important and, yeah. th and there's never been a time when we've had more um opportunity to hear different voices i mean yeah. the internet despite the censorship issues you can find it you may have to search six pages in for your google search to get to where you want to go but you can find it and so that's the, where i start it's like i look for all kinds of different voices the second thing is i'm very attuned now to people who seem to regularly spit out what I would consider an establishment perspective. That's what I call it. I don't know if that's mm. the right way to, mm -hmm. to talk about it, but there are people on both the left and the right who are not, they have, they're able to look at their own side and pick apart the deficiencies in the arguments. I look for people like that. The people who are not constantly defending where their people are, you know, getting everything mm -hmm. uh, where we might say they're getting it wrong, but they're going to constantly defend and say that they're right. If they're able to be self-critical and critical of their sort of their own uh, ideology, then that's another mm -hmm. point. If they can, mm -hmm. if they, they talk about seeing someone else's perspective, I pick up on that. And then if they're able to criticize kind of the power structure around us, then that's another thing I pay attention to too, because like you said at the beginning of the show, people can be critical and skeptical of somebody in their living room or like for me right now, I'm in my loft. Um, but actually I don't think that the average American is like that. I think the people who have the control right now are like that. They, they look at the YouTuber skeptically still, but the, if you look at Pew research, for instance, their data shows that American trust in kind of the establishment, whether it's government or finance or the press, is pretty low right now. It's definitely not at 50%. It's like, actually, I was just looking at um, this study from, I think, about a year or two ago that said they, people trust Amazon 
at like a, you know, like 38% or 40% or something. And they trust the press and the government, like 6% to do <laughs> what's right. You know, they just 6% yeah. trusted to do what's right all the time. Um, and they trust the U S postal service actually was the number one. It was like 44%, you know, <laughs> of the time yeah. people think the postal service is going to do the right thing. So I think the, the, the way that folks are starting to look at the quote establishment is like, not the way that the establishment looks at itself. I think okay. it's the people in power still kind of think everybody still trusts us. Yeah. So they do a little bit of like, uh, dis distancing, the social distancing from the alternative viewpoints, instead of saying, maybe I should listen to what these people are saying. Why do they have 6 million followers on YouTube? What is mm -hmm. it about what they're saying that's mm -hmm. of interest to the public? And then also saying, well, why don't we take some responsibility for our failures, which is what mm -hmm. I try to do on my channel is to say, hey, I truly believe in journalism. My, you know, it's, my dad taught me this lesson a long time ago. He said, if you really love your neighbor, you hold them accountable to their bad behavior because <laughs> the neighbor then learns to become a better neighbor mm -hmm. and the people who are bad neighbor they 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 just say uh, you're never going to get any better so i'm not going to ever tell you that you could do better and so i've tried to be a journalist that says i believe so much in journalism that i want to be the good neighbor who says you can do better i know you mm -hmm. can do better and i expect you to do better so i'm going to call out where we're getting it wrong instead of defending to the death this yeah. profession which has in a lot of yeah. cases earned the criticism that it gets from the public. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, once again, you triggered like a hundred thoughts in me and I should have jotted them down because then you come to this pause and I'm like, I'm not sure which direction to go because <laughs> you've you've opened up so many avenues of discussion that I want well, to hit on. You, you did say, how do, how do you, you know, make sure people can have empowering sort of a toolkit to yes, yes. go sift through all this. And so I've already given two. you some of those. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's really important is to just look for individuals besides the brand. So I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are like, this is my brand. I watch this newscast every night. And unfortunately, I think what you should be doing is saying, this is a reporter I followed. I've noticed that they're able to question the establishment, that they don't seem to fall down into a party line. They don't give one person the benefit of the doubt while they're just hammering down this other person. That's where I start to get a little like my ears bleed when I hear that, right? Like we let this, this person in power off a million times, but then this guy sneezes and all of a sudden, you know, we're going to attack him. Um, so are they able to sort of have critical thinking skills? And I go by individual, not brand. And I think mm -hmm. that's another problem now is that people want to say, oh, this is my brand. This is what I trust. But yeah. there are folks that I can't stand watching and folks that I love watching on the same station. And and so to think that they they don't all think the same. So follow an individual too over yeah. the brand and, and start really paying attention to where they fall on their ability to be critical of everybody, not yeah. just, um, and do they have those conversations? Like you said, are there those conversations that are just kind of untouchable mm -hmm. right now? Are they able to have those conversations? Are they, are they yeah. allowing people to say things in their reports that, you know, you're like, wow, that, you know, if you step away and you say that was brave of them to put that out there. Mm -hmm. Cause I know that they could cut, you know, the mobocracy, as I call it, the mobocracy of Twitter and social media is going to come after them for it. Yeah. Look for the brave ones who are willing to have tough conversations too. Well, you know, you bring up a really good point here is those untouchable conversations. Um, so I'd like to talk about um, 
what conversation, who, who is creating the dynamic where people fear to touch a conversation on many levels? And what does that mean? And, and if individual, if you catch yourself saying, oh, no, I don't believe in that. Oh, no, you're just a, you know, like in my movement for, for vaccine safety reform, <laughs> I get labeled an anti-vaxxer. And they'll go, um, well, you're just an anti-vaxxer. And I'll say, no, I'm pro-scientific integrity in vaccine policy. And there's a lot of need for vaccine safety reform because the right science is not done, you know. And they'll say, no, you're just, you're just, and I'm like, what are you basing your opinion on? What, what, what does it stand on? Have you actually read any of the information? And generally somebody who's labeling me that way has not actually read. So, so there is that danger of, certain viewpoints becoming standardized and if you step away from that you're labeled something and mocked and it can be open season to say anybody critical of vaccines to mock them and it's open season if you're in any way critical of global warming you get mocked so how does that happen and what's the cure Right. So um, that is a very, <laughs> it depends. I mean, the, it depends on, on, on the, where, how the problem starts in different areas. Like I've told you, you know, that in one of the places that I used to work, vaccines were questioning vaccines was not allowed on air. Mm -hmm. And um, you, I couldn't even, you know, pitch that idea that you would have somebody, a doctor, a scientist who has an alternative view was not allowed. So it can be that bad where it's just, straight up management says, nope, this is an untouchable conversation. Or it could be as innocuous as a reporter who just doesn't even know that there are these alternative viewpoints because they've never heard them before. And mm -hmm. then it could be everything in between. And I think a lot of people think it's usually the former, that it's this really hard hitting censorship, which I would say that was one time in my whole career, uh, one, one person I should say in particular, where that was a, a regular phenomenon versus what I saw more insidiously was just people who either didn't have the time to do the research they needed to do. So they were well-meaning people, but they just really didn't have the, the, the resources to do their job well, or mm -hmm. people who just hadn't been exposed to this idea. And, you know, maybe they would have been okay listening to it, but they, you know, they just, they didn't know anybody yeah. like you. Um, the other thing too, though, is that I think in some cases, because of where we are, you asked about how does that fear come in? It's, it's the mobocracy. They're scared yeah. of the repercussions. I have yeah. so much more to say about this, but I know we have to go for a break. I know. Yeah. So yeah, this is great conversation. We're going to head off to a break, uh, though you are listening to, uh, Bernadette Pager, Informed Choice Washington, on Lift Your Spirits Radio, 1150 AM, KKNW. Stand, throw the weight of the world from the palm of your hand. Gather the so are you interested in green building, energy efficiency, and sustainable practices? The Northwest Eco Building Guild is a 501c3 community of builders, designers, suppliers, and homeowners concerned with ecological building in the Pacific Northwest. The Guild empowers people through educational activities, classes, and events through the year. To learn more on how to go solar, conserve water, lower your energy bills, and create a healthy home environment, visit ecobuilding.org forward slash events today. Lift your spirits with us every Friday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1150 a.m. KKNW Seattle. 
We will be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities that are guaranteed to lift your spirits. Miss a show? No worries, you can visit 1150kknw.com and click on our archive page or like Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie on Facebook for upcoming guests and events. To contact me, Dina Marie, visit dina-marie.com. Thank you so much for listening. Did you know how your immune system protects you from illness? Wish you knew more about what lifestyle choices you could make to keep your immune system strong? What healing approaches might work best for you? Well, tune in on the first Friday of each month when the host of Lift Your Spirits Radio will be Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington. Bernadette will be joined by medical and science experts to discuss healthy immunity and how you and your family can achieve it. You can reach Bernadette Pager at informedchoicewa.org. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. Next train's coming down the track. Whoever you are, whatever it takes, we will stand free. Welcome back to Lift Your Spirits. I'm Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington on 1150 AM KKNW. And with me is journalist Allison Morrow. We're going to move our conversation to some silver linings in this whole COVID-19 crisis um, to, to leave you on some positive notes. So, Allison, there's a couple of really great things that I have seen. Now, I have been talking about, writing about, posting about two things public health has been very weak on and have been needed. I mean, Washington spend no money tracking vaccine injury, but that's a whole other story. What what I really want to say is they're not investing in public health tools that are necessary not only for vaccine-targeted infections because vaccine protection wanes and we have outbreaks in fully vaccinated people for whooping cough and measles and mumps, et cetera, but for novel viruses that come along, we need two things. We need rapid diagnostic technology, the ability to rapidly get test kits in the hands of individuals and hospitals and clinics that are accurate and fast, and we also need standby on-the-shelf therapeutics. We need medicine, so no, no matter what comes along, whatever that virus is, we can rapidly deploy them and save lives. And those would be things that work on in a broad way, such as IV vitamin C. And it's been so thrilling to see mainstream medicine now and hospitals all over the country integrating IV vitamin C into their healing protocols and um, vitamin D into their healing protocols, um, you know, and all these other uh, things that are usually just on the naturopathic side, but they're seeing that these people are crashing because they're becoming depleted in nutrients. And the lessons being learned here now are going to so serve us well um, moving forward. So that's what I see. Do you see some silver linings in what we're experiencing? Ooh, yes. Um, I think maybe they're going to take some time to work their themselves from, um, you know, the little droplets to a rainstorm of positivity. But um, I think that 
people are starting to see that stuff like this can happen. There, that, that very big events that are extremely disruptive can happen. And when that shakes people, they can sit back and say, well, uh, what is this all about anyway? Who are these people I'm watching? You know, it's very easy to kind of accept the status quo when you're in a good time of financial uh, success and you don't worry about putting food on the table. You don't necessarily reevaluate like the direction of your own personal life. Who do I want to be when this is all over? And, and what do I even really know anyway that I'm making all these tiny decisions every day that make up the, the totality of my life? What, what is this? Who am I? And, and where do I want to go? And I think that curiosity is the beginning of something beautiful for a human and where it all really has to begin. We look at these issues, they're very big issues. The ones you've brought up, the ones I've brought up, they are systemic in a lot of ways. And many people can feel like they're powerless against that. But really, like I used to say that national or international news is still local news because it's happening somewhere. And local news is individual news in a lot of cases because it's many individuals making up one community. And it has to start there. It's, it all change starts with one or two or three, four or five people, you know, 5% or 10% leading the change that someday the other 90% will sometime accept as just normal, which they mm -hmm. right now think is maybe crazy. And so mm -hmm. for those 10% to wake up and say, you know what, I'm tired of just coming home and watching reruns. I want to get involved. I want to participate. I want to start figuring out what's going on here and be an active player in my community. Yeah. That at the end of the day, I think is where the hope for all of this lies. And really when I was in news, people used to say, yeah, you're an advocate for the environment. And I said, the environment is secondary to the soul of the, the, the communities that I'm trying to reach because really what I'm trying to do is wake people up to realize that life matters, that we only have so much time on this earth and that mm -hmm. every day is a really precious gift and that we don't have to be robots who just go through the motions. We can participate. We can find meaning and purpose, great mm -hmm. deep meaning and purpose in our relationships mm -hmm. and what we give back to the world. And then you will go on whatever your specific path is. Maybe it's the environment, maybe it's not, mm -hmm. but you will eventually become somebody who is directional and intentional about your life. And there's so much, once that awakening happens, there's so much beauty in that. And, and yeah. I really hope that that's what this situation does is that it just says to people that there can be moments where your, your spirit and your character are really tested. Who are you going to be? Are you going to be mm -hmm. somebody who's hiding in the shadows? Or are you going to be somebody who steps out into the light and starts to try to lead people in a path that is healthy and meaningful and purposeful? Or are you going to be somebody who is going to make people panicked and afraid and divided? Mm -hmm. And I had a seminary, I'll leave you with this story. I had a professor in seminary, uh, my preaching professor, and I tried really hard to get out of preaching because I didn't want to be a preacher, but they wouldn't let me graduate until I took it. And his opening um, lecture was about that exactly, that no matter who we are, we're all storytellers. Every single one of us frames the issues that we care about or our children or whatever else we're talking about as a story. 
And our stories can either be of the nature that move people forward in healing and wholeness and hope, or they can be stories that divide people and, and put them in positions of uh, antagonism. Who do you want to be? And that was ultimately what got me thinking about going to journalism uh, because I had left the field thinking there was nothing left for me there. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll give storytelling one last try. So what kind of person do you want to be? This is the kind of time in history that tests that for all of us. Yeah, there, there's a really good book. I mean, sort of in my former life, and I hope to go back to it um, one day, I, I'm a fiction writer. Um, and there's a really good book on fiction. I think it's uh, Wired for Story, it's called. And, and it talks about how our brains are, are exactly that, wired for story. And they give the, um, the author gives the example of, like, if you're sitting around a campfire um, uh, 500 years ago, what do you do? You talk, you tell stories about the time that you were out in the woods and you heard this sound and it turned out to be a tiger about to attack you. And so our brains are wired to have stories told and to be able to weed out the important from the non-important. And that storytelling process is, is part of how we, who we are, how we learn. We learn better from story than from dry facts spit at us. And, you know, um, so probably a lot of kids right now are learning a whole, finding a whole new way of learning. They're homeschooling, the parents are winging it. They might actually be enjoying their learning much more than maybe what they were doing in a, another model. Um, we actually have to go now, and I just hate stopping it, but I see that we've only got one more minute here. So, Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Benny, for a great hour of conversation about healthy immunity and empowering yourself to decide uh, what information you want to follow. Um, please come back next Friday when my guest will be Dr. John Ruland, and we're going to be talking about HBOT, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, other oxygen therapies, and their healing potential, potential for cancer, for COVID-19, and much more. Thank you for joining us, and make it a healthy day. Go back to sleep. The door is round and open, and the river